you've got your Bibles, open them to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. And it is so true that nothing can separate us from the love of God. But it is equally true that what is going on in our life can separate us from fellowship with God. Not our relationship with God, but our fellowship with God. Now remember in Mark chapter 11, there's this just continuing flow of events that go on in this chapter. Uh, It starts with a triumphal entry. Jesus cleanses the temple. He curses the fig tree because it was bearing false witness. It had leaves without fruit, and so it was a symbol of what was happening in Israel. And then Peter says, look, Lord, you cursed the fig tree, and it's dead from the roots up, and I can't believe it. And, And Jesus said to him, have faith in God. He didn't even respond to Peter's statement. He just says, have faith in God. And then he begins to talk about mountain-moving faith. Now remember, the last time we looked at this, mountain-moving faith is centered in a person. Have faith in God. Not have faith in faith, not have faith in prayer, not have faith in yourself, but have faith in God. It contradicts the problem. Say to this mountain, a mountain is something that is immovable or appears to be immovable or impossible say to this mountain and then it claims a promise believe that you already have it and you shall have it what is the mountain the mountain is unforgiveness it's unforgiveness i I sat down and thought through short statements that reveal a lot about our hearts short real short three-word statements that reveal a lot about where we are. What somebody can say in three words says a lot about where they are in their relationship, in their fellowship with the Lord or with others. Words like, I have sinned. I am wrong. Those are hard words, especially for men to get out of their mouth. I've sinned. I am wrong. I was wrong. Or I forgive you or please forgive me. All of them are short three-word statements that deal with this matter of forgiveness. In chapter 11 and verse 24, Jesus says, therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted to you. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. These are hard words. These are hard words. But they're true words, and we need to pay attention if we're going to operate in the realm of faith and if we're going to see the mountains, the impossible obstacles that stand in our way, if we're going to see them move. So first thing is faith and prayer are relational. Faith and prayer are relational. Any authority I have is based on my relationship with the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. 
I do not go before the throne of grace in my name. I go before the throne of grace in the name of Jesus to the Father. He is my access point to the Father. Jesus' source of power on earth was his unbroken fellowship and relationship with his Father. When you look at what Jesus said in the Gospel of John, I and the Father are one. What I say, I hear from the Father. It is the relationship with the Father that gave Jesus the power on earth. He was modeling for us, all God, all man, what we need to understand as redeemed people, bought by the blood of the Lamb, what it takes for us to have that kind of power and that kind of relationship with God. Faith takes hold of God's faithfulness. Faith takes hold of God's faithfulness. Faith does not take hold of a scheme or a plan or a plot or an idea that I might have. It takes hold of the faithfulness of God. And this kind of faith is released in the realm of prayer. It's released in the realm of prayer. So faith and prayer are relational. They're two sides of the same coin. If I say that I'm operating by faith, I'm beginning that operation in the realm of prayer. If I say that I'm a person of prayer, then that bends and moves on faith, having faith in God. Prayer is the expression of faith. And so Jesus says, when you stand praying, and he links what he says in verse 24 to verses 25 and 26. So the context is crucial. He's talking about mountain-moving faith. He's about to go into some other issues after we get out of this passage in the coming weeks. But he's talking here about standing in the presence of God facing a mountain. Now, when you and I are facing a mountain in our lives, something that seems immovable, yes, in that context, Jesus could have been talking about the Temple Mount and the dead religion of Israel and the sacrifices that would be meaningless because they were offering sacrifices, and yet here stood the one who would be the ultimate sacrifice. And so if you're going to get past dead religion, you've got to have faith in God. If you're going to get past just going through the motions and checking the boxes on your offering envelope to a living, vital relationship with God, you're going to, get to have to get past that mountain of thinking that what I do earns me favor with God. No, it is what God has done for us in Christ Jesus that gives us favor and access to God. So Jesus gives one condition for mountain-moving faith and one hindrance. He says here what we would expect God to say. We would not expect an omniscient, omnipotent, holy, righteous God to say, try harder, do better. He would expect us to live lives in accordance to his word and his will. And that's exactly what Jesus does here. You see, the right to ex exercise believing prayer belongs to those who forgive. That's a tough one. Because you say, man, I'm believing God for something. You're going to have to ask yourself a question about forgiveness and how you do and I do in the realm of forgiving people. 
if we really want to exercise believing prayer. You see, you cannot think, I cannot think for one moment that my relationship with other people, with my work associates, with my classmates, with members of my family, I can't think for one moment that that's over here in this silo and has nothing to do with what I want God to do in my life. What happens in my relationships horizontally affect my relationship vertically. So, verse 24 to me is one of the most misinterpreted or misunderstood verses in all of Scripture. Here's what I think most people think it says, what they think it says. If I pray really hard, and if I pray a long time, and if I beg a whole lot, I can wear God down and he'll just finally give in and give me what I want. That is not what Jesus is saying. Nowhere in this does Jesus say he will give you what you want. He says he will remove the mountain that stands between you and him. But he doesn't say he'll just give you what you want. If Jesus had given me what I want, I'd gotten a lot of stupid things in my life. I mean, I prayed some dumb prayers when I was in eighth grade. Really dumb prayers. Like, there's this girl I really wanted to like me. And I told God I'd do anything if this girl would like me in the eighth grade. That, that's, that's a dumb prayer. That's not a mountain God's going to move. That's not a mountain God's going to move. I, I, I told him if he'd give me a scholarship to college to play sports, but he gave me two left feet, and so there you have it. I mean, it, you know, he, he said, son, I can't fix what's already there. I mean, you just... You're just going to have to go with it. So, so look, fellowship with God and with others is non-negotiable. Let me give you some other references. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 23. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Now, this is your brother has something against you, not that you have something against someone else. But he says, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Matthew 6 and verse 14. If you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Matthew 18 and verse 21. Then Peter came. Peter was a good, really good Baptist. Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall I, my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times, now Peter's thinking, look, if I forgive anybody seven times, I, I, ought to, I ought to have the chief seat in the synagogue. I mean, this ought, to be, this ought to be something. Seven times, I mean, nobody forgives seven times. Peter thinks he is making this gracious, incredible, look how spiritual I am. I have forgiven this person seven times. And Jesus says, shut up, Peter. Actually, he didn't say that. What he said was... Uh, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, I remember meeting a guy one time, and he had written in the front of his Bible, I'm up to 54. When I get to 70 times seven, I've had it. I've done it. I'm up to 54. Jesus is not saying keep a ledger and count. He's saying keep on forgiving. Just keep forgiving. Yeah, but keep on forgiving. But you don't know keep on forgiving. You see, power comes from being in right relationship with the Father. That's how it came to Jesus, the man 
who was all God and all man. That's how it came to him on earth. That's how it comes to us as the redeemed children of God. Forgive is the bottom line. Now, you've been around long enough, and I've been around long enough that we've watched this circling of the wagons before. People will say things like this. I don't have to forgive them. You don't know what they did to me. I don't want to forgive them. When they come to me crawling, I'll forgive them. I'll never forgive them. And then this is a real good one. God just hasn't led me to forgive them. That's the one when even God laughs. I mean, he calls the angels together and says, look at this guy down here. He says, I haven't led him to forgive. Can you believe this guy? And the angels are going, that boy, his elevator does not go to the top floor. It just does not reach up there where it's supposed to reach. 1 John 4.20, if someone says, I love God and hate his brother. By the way, hate is often born in unforgiveness. He is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You see, if my prayers are hindered, then I need to do a spiritual EKG. I need to do a heart check. I need to ask myself, is there anyone that I haven't forgiven? Is there anyone that I say I can't forgive? Are there any unresolved conflicts that I need to settle with someone? You know, we did the Lord's Supper last week, and one of the reasons for doing the Lord's Supper is to do a check of ourselves and to ask ourselves, is there anything that's in wrong relationship between me and someone else on earth? Or is there unconfessed sin in my life that I need to deal with before I take the elements? You see, we are blessed in proportion to that which we bless others. And we are forgiven in proportion to the way we forgive others. You say, well, that's not the way it works. Jesus said, if you don't forgive them, my Father won't forgive you. That's exactly what that statement means. Ron Dunn said, God uses the same size measuring bowl to dish out to you that you use to dish out to others. I want that quote to stay up there for a minute because I want you to think about it. God uses the same size measuring bowl for you to dish out to you that you use to dish out to others. So if your and my idea of forgiveness is a little bitty cup of forgiveness and that's all I'm going to give and I'm tired of people hurting me and I'm tired of people doing things to me and I'm tired. You need to ask yourself, what did you do to Jesus? Because your sin and my sin put Jesus on the cross. So before you start holding other people's sins against them, you might want to be glad that God didn't hold your sins against you. That he sent his son to take your sin on a cross to pay the price for your sin. So God uses that same size dish. So if I am big and willing to forgive, then God is big and willing to forgive in my relationships with other people. I know that's a hard concept to hang on to, but this, this namby-pamby 
sloppy agape Christianity that we've got going on today where when you know you're supposed to say, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, I need you to forgive me, I ask you to forgive me, and we just shrug our shoulders and say, well, you know, we don't understand grace. And we don't understand forgiveness. I mean, when you got saved, you didn't go to God and say, well, you know. Because if you did, God would have said, know what? What is it that you think I know? You know, I've, I've, I've done a few things wrong. few things? few things? You were rebellious when you were teething. few things? What about that money you stole? What about that kid that you hit and you never went back and asked for forgiveness for? What about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? Well, Lord, you know. But that brings me to a second point, that forgiveness is unconditional. Forgive is always to be forgiving. It's in present tense in the Greek, and it means a developed lifestyle and a developing lifestyle. In other words, I understand the principle, but I have to work on the process. I understand forgiveness is an ongoing present tense thing. It's not like I forgave years ago, now I don't have to do it anymore. It's an ongoing thing. You you go back to the barren fig tree. For me to pray while bearing a grudge is like a tree sprouting leaves and not bearing fruit. So if forgiveness is unconditional, it's universal. Anything against anyone. Man, I wish he hadn't put that in there. I mean, anything against anyone? Really? Now, don't raise your hands because we don't, we don't need to build a confessional booth in the atrium. But are there some people that are harder for you to forgive than others? I mean, did anybody just come to mind, you know, that's hard, it's hard for me to forgive them more than others. I mean, I like them. I can forgive them. That person, I cannot forgive them. I cannot. Anything against anyone. To say that I can't forgive is to admit that I'm not letting God peel away the layers in my heart. Grudges grind us down. We are to forgive freely because God forgives freely. Phillips translates this verse, you must forgive any grudge you are holding against anyone else. Anything that becomes an issue between me and you will ultimately be an issue between me and the Heavenly Father. Anything that becomes an issue between me and you will ultimately be an issue between me and and the Heavenly Father. I used this illustration years ago, but it fits here. I didn't even have it in my notes. I just thought about it. I remember one Sunday night after church going to visit a member in the hospital who was about to have uh, cancer surgery. And it was 8.30 at night. Visitation was over. And I was standing there talking to him And he looked at me. He said, Pastor, he said, I have really hard feelings against Brother Billy, who was the pastor before me. 
what do you think I ought to do about it? And I said to him, I said, well, if you don't make it through this surgery, I wouldn't want to meet Jesus with unforgiveness in my heart. He said, well, what do you think I ought to do? I said, there's a phone right there. I said, I'd pick up that phone and I'd call him and I'd ask him to forgive me because before you go under anesthesia when you don't know if you're going to wake up or not, you ought to make sure it's right between you and him. When I saw him the next day, before they came to take him and give him anesthesia and operate on him, he said, Pastor, I did what you told me to do. I said, good, how'd it go? He said, went, went great, went great. He said he forgave me, and he said, I'm ready to die. Can you imagine going to heaven angry at anybody about anything when that price of that ticket was bought to you by the Son of God who said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I mean, that was our sin, my sin, your sin, that did that to the Son of God. We're the ones that put him up on the cross. And so anything that becomes an issue between me and you will ultimately be an issue between me and the Heavenly Father. It's unconditional, not if they're really sorry. John Wesley had a man come to him one day and said, I will never forgive. And Wesley said, you better hope you never sin. You see, forgiveness is a crucial matter. The issue is not whether they repent or not. It's about you. The issue is not if they ask for it or accept it. It's given by you. When did God forgive you? Before you ever sinned, before you were ever born. God offered forgiveness at the cross 2,000 years ago. When did Jesus die on the cross? Well, go back further. Before the foundation of the world. So before man ever came into existence, God knew that man would sin and that man would break God's laws and he provided in eternity past your need in the present moment. Forgiveness for sin. Stephen Chapel said, Jesus took time to teach the disciples about forgiveness just as the greatest crime in human history was about to be perpetrated against him. Jesus is on the verge of the cross. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be slandered. He's going to have a crown of thorns pushed down on his head. He's going to be beaten to a point where he's not even recognizable, according to the prophet Isaiah. He's going to be nailed to a cross between two thieves and he is facing that and he is teaching about forgiveness before he ever says it from the cross. So what he said, he practiced. Now if that had been your son on the cross, you'd have been cussing everybody around you for putting your son on the cross. He's innocent. I don't believe he's guilty. We'd have been mad and upset and calling everybody we could call. But God had to turn his back on his son 
and sit in silence in heaven while his son took on every sin, past, present, and future. And Jesus, knowing what was about to happen to him, still said anything against anybody. You, you mean those people that said bad things about me? Yes. You mean those Yes. You mean those? Yes. Because my sin and your sin drove the nails in his hands and in his feet. You see, when we come to Christ, we merely receive forgiveness provided in eternity past. And if God hadn't provided it in eternity past, we couldn't appropriate it now. And so the same way that God chooses to forgive me, I need to choose to forgive others. And when I choose not to forgive, I imprison myself. Now listen, I'm not clueless. I know that a message like this is hard. I understand it. Because there are people that are listening to this message online or in this room. You may have been raped. You may have been sexually abused. You may have been physically abused, verbally abused. And what the devil has done is he has used that to keep you from enjoying the forgiveness that God has given you. And the devil keeps dragging you back to that sorry person or that sorry situation to make you live there. And what you're doing is you're living in a high security prison and the devil has the keys to the gate. We have to let go doesn't mean that we're denying what they did to us. doesn't mean that they should have to deal with what they have done. I mean, people need to be punished when they do things like that. They need to go to prison when they do things like that. But it means that it's not at the frontal lobe of my mind that I'm always thinking about that. It means that when that thought enters my mind, I say, Jesus, I want to thank you that you've given me the power to overcome that thought with a renewed mind. You say, well, that's hard. It is. That's why it's a developed lifestyle. That's why it's a developing lifestyle. You see, if I'm in prison of my past, my decisions, my reactions, or other people's actions, then unforgiveness runs my life. Now, I know this. If you've been hurt by anybody, you can't really forget it because the devil puts post-it notes up everywhere to remind you of it. But what it does mean, if I operate in this realm that God wants me to operate in, I may not be able to forget it, but it doesn't control me anymore. I'm not in bondage to it anymore. I've been delivered from it. And Jesus gives three clear commands about prayer. When you pray, say, Our Father, who art in heaven, Holy be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus said, you all know how to pray? Make sure you include this in it. So he told us when we pray, we pray to the Father. When we pray, believe. Believe that the Father hears us. Why? Because we've asked him to forgive. And when you stand praying, forgive. Why don't we forgive? Pride. 
I, I want I want I want to tell that story one more time to make people feel sorry for me. Rather than I want to tell the story of how God made me an overcomer so that people that do tell that story over and over that don't know Jesus can see the difference that Jesus made in you. You know, I've been where you are. I know what you've felt. I, I know what that's like. I, you know what? I know somebody's been there, but they found Jesus. And I want to tell you, Jesus made a difference in their life, in their attitude, in their relationships. They've learned how to live without the pride of unforgiveness in their lives. As long as we think, I have to get vengeance, I have my rights, they owe me, I'm going to make them crawl and beg, we forget Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. By the way, that Father, forgive them wasn't just for the Jews that wanted him killed. Can, can you imagine, can you imagine the Son of God, sinless Son of God, on a cross, Father, forgive them. It wasn't just for the Romans that held him down and put the nails in his hand. But can you imagine that the high priest who is supposedly representing God, the only one that can go into the Holy of Holies and offer the sacrifice once a year and Passover is about to come and yet the Passover lamb is standing right before him? Can you imagine that God so loved the world that he said, forgive them? You see, too often, westernized Christianity has blamed the Jews for the crucifixion of Jesus. But I want to tell you what, Gentiles killed him too. We said, oh, you know, we, we need to be anti-Semitic because the Jews killed Jesus. Not just them. Romans did too. And we did. We did. I did. There's an old song, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Yes, you were. Because in some dynamic and dimension that we do not understand, you and I in our sin, past, present, and future, was nailed on a cross. It is by the shedding of blood that there is remission of sin. It is by the shedding of blood that there is forgiveness of sin. It is by the shedding of blood that there is grace and mercy and access to the Father. It is by the graciousness of God that his son went through the most horrible death that could possibly be imagined so that you and I could find forgiveness and give forgiveness. Let's pray together. just want to ask you in these moments what came to mind what came to mind a person a situation an event what came to mind during this sermon would you take that and lay it at the cross today would you take that and give it to Jesus today. Because you see, 
You and I can't handle it. That's why we keep tripping over it. That's why it keeps bothering us. Because we're trying to handle it. Can you take that person, that thing, that event, that moment, that crisis, and just say, Lord, I know one mountain that's in my life. It's the mountain of unforgiveness. And I need to ask you to forgive me, not because I deserve it, not because I've earned it, but because you forgave me. The Bible says we love because he first loved us, but we forgive because he first forgave us too. And we show grace because he first showed us grace, and we show mercy because he first showed us mercy. And you know who gets hurt in unforgiveness? The one who won't forgive. An old, old statement that still rings true. Bitterness does more harm on the vessel in which it is stored than on the life on which it is poured. Life's too short, folks, for us to be bitter and angry and unforgiving. You see, God's going to settle the books one day. Don't worry about it. God's got this. He's going to settle the books one day. And that thing that has hurt you the deepest or that little thing that just picks at you and probes you and punches you, you give it to God. Take it to the cross and lay it down there and ask God to take that off of you and to roll that burden off of you and continually, present tense, develop a lifestyle until it becomes second nature to you to just be forgiving. Father, we come before you and if there's anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today they would embrace forgiveness not merited not earned freely offered forgiveness for those of us in this room that have walked in with unnecessary baggage I pray that we would walk out with the joy of knowing forgiveness and of giving forgiveness in our hearts and in our minds and on our lips, in Jesus' name, amen.